This morning from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Isaiah starts this 42nd chapter telling us what God is saying. And we hear these words, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Can you hear that without thinking of Jesus? I cannot. I read a passage like that, even though I know Isaiah does not have Jesus in mind when he is writing, and my mind immediately goes to Jesus, thinking of him as the servant, he as the chosen one, he as the one whose spirit is upon him from God. And yet Isaiah is writing an entirely different time about a different experience than the time of Jesus. And yet the early Christians saw in what Isaiah wrote an apt description of what they had experienced in knowing Jesus of Nazareth. One of the scholars I read recently commenting about this said that Christians, and the New Testament in particular, in particular use Isaiah so much that it should be known as the fifth gospel. In fact, one scholar has written a book with that very title talking about the very similarities between Isaiah and what the gospel writers tell us and how often they draw from the work of Isaiah and his inspiration and revelation and proclamation to make a proclamation about who Jesus is and who Jesus was. But of course, it's not only the early Christians, but Jesus himself is surely shaped and formed by Isaiah in terms of how he articulates his own identity and mission. Perhaps the most familiar of those passages comes from Luke. You may remember the story. It's in the fourth chapter of Luke. Jesus goes back to his hometown after he's been out about a little bit, and he is selected to be the reader for the day in worship. And the story says that he reads from 
the Isaiah scroll. It's what we designate as Isaiah 61, where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And begins to talk about that he's being called to bring sight to the blind, to release the captives, to be in ministry with the oppressed and downtrodden, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Luke says he rolls up the scroll and says to those people who have raised him in the faith, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He saw Isaiah's words as his mission statement, if you will, as a description of what God had called him to do and be in the world. Well, Jesus is quoting in Luke 4 from Isaiah 61. But if you read Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 42, these verses we just read next to each other, they sound so very similar. There's parallels all through the writing thinking about what Jesus said on that occasion. Listen again to this portion we read this morning. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. It's such a similar theme that you find throughout Isaiah. Then when you begin to look, you realize you can find it throughout the Gospels. When Luke is describing a little bit before Jesus goes into his public ministry, the baptism of Jesus, the time he goes down to the water to be baptized by John. And then he says that Jesus hears a voice when he comes up out of the water that says, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Do you see how similar that is to the passage we read from Isaiah that says, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Or there's another place in Luke. The story tells about Jesus taking three of his disciples and going up on a mountain to pray. And Luke describes that while they are there, the disciples see Jesus become radiant. And then they're overshadowed by a cloud. And they hear a voice. Do you remember what it says? This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Let me give you one more example of these parallels that are written in Isaiah first, but we hear them in the Gospels. Dr. Tankersley read for us the baptismal account of Jesus from Matthew just moments ago. You can hear now, or look at it later, the Luke passage, the Matthew passage, both echo Isaiah's writings. But also then, when Matthew goes on to write about Jesus declaring that he's publicly going into ministry, he also says he quoted Isaiah. Luke says that day in the temple and the synagogue it was isaiah 61 matthew tells us that it's a different passage if you were here on christmas eve you heard part of this passage read as we were reading through the hebrew scriptures and the christian scriptures all these different words about who this christ child is going to be but then after that after he's baptized where Dr. Tangersley read, then Jesus says these words, 
the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. It comes from Isaiah 9. Again, Jesus quoting from the prophetic writings of Isaiah. Isaiah 9 paraphrased in Matthew 4. Over and over again, as you begin to study the Gospels, if you're familiar with Isaiah, as the first followers of Jesus were, you see these parallels, you see these images that Isaiah first prophesied about in his time, now being applied to Jesus. Isaiah gives us this idea of the servant coming from God to minister to the people. This is how he started this morning. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In a new book I'm reading, he's talking about justice. The book is called The New Faces of Christianity by Dr. Philip Jenkins. He is looking at global Christianity and describes in the book the great growth in Christianity and how it is happening south of the equator. He says that in most of our lifetimes, we have been used to the centers of Christianity being in North America or in Europe. But he says in a very short period of time, the majority of the Christians are going to be living south of the equator. That there's this great population explosion going on and not only more people, but more people coming to Christ. Converts coming to Christianity. But he points out that the parts of the Scripture that speak to them typically are different than parts of Scripture that speak to us. Or when they hear a passage, the way they interpret it is so very different. Because they live in such different circumstances. They come from different cultural backgrounds. He says, for example, that so often they don't have a strong governmental system. They have no judicial system. That corrupt, corruption is often rampant. That coups and military takeovers are commonplace. That civil wars are going on. And so for them to... Have a chance at justice is a very rare thing. He says, when they hear a passage like this, that says there is a God that has a servant that can bring forth justice, that's very appealing. They're very interested in responding to that kind of God and knowing more about that servant. Because justice is not something they often experienced. I began to think about our own system of justice. And whether or not it really provides justice for all. Is it really impartial for any and all who come through it? Certainly that is our ideal here in this country. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of a movie from several years ago entitled The Verdict. You may remember it. Earlier this morning, I was getting ready to share this story, and I looked up at the youth choir as I said, you may remember it. Then I realized none of them had been born. 
So, okay, you're not going to remember it, but let me tell you about it. It was a great movie. And then I said, starring Paul Newman. And I'm sure they all said, who? <laughs> but you may remember it. Came out in the 80s. Paul Newman is a lawyer. He's made some bad mistakes. His career is basically over. He's drinking himself into oblivion. And one of his friends comes to him with a case and says, this is a case you can win. Take this case. This is your chance. And so the Paul Newman character decides to take the case. And sure enough, it is a winnable case. And early on, he's offered a vast sum of money to settle the case. But he doesn't think it's the right thing to do. He doesn't think it's a just thing to do. He feels like he's being bought off in a sense. Even though the family's going to get some money, he doesn't think it's the right thing to do. And so he turns them down. And later in the movie, someone's challenging him about that and whether or not he thinks he can guarantee justice. And he says something to the effect that our system does not guarantee justice for everyone, but promises that everyone has a chance to receive justice. Isaiah says, we have a God who cares about justice and wants justice for every one of us. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Isaiah wants his people to know that their God cares about them and cares about justice and is going to achieve it through the servant that has been sent. And yet he's saying it's not going to be an overpowering kind of justice, the kind we often pray for when we feel we've been wronged and we want God to intervene and change everything. Isaiah is saying this servant coming will be so gentle that he will not lift his voice. He will not break a reed. He will not quench a wick. And yet he will be relentless in the pursuit of justice for everyone. This will be a gentle and slow-moving process. Yet God, through the servant, will faithfully bring forth justice. As I was reading over this passage this last few days, I began to think of what St. Paul wrote to the early Christians in Corinth. Often it's a passage we read at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. But Paul's really not writing about weddings and marital love, even though it applies because it's about 
mature Christian love. But as I was reading about it, reading about justice, I want you to hear it again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now this word that Paul is using for love is agape in Greek. That is a love that wills the good or does the good for the other. Or perhaps we could translate it as does justice for the other. What if we substituted justice in the place where Paul used agape? It would read like this. Justice is patient. Justice is kind. Justice is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Justice does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Justice bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When I read it that way, it sounds like exactly what Isaiah is saying to his people. That God is in pursuit of justice in the world through his servant. Apparently to the early Christians, it sounded a lot like what they had experienced in Jesus of Nazareth. Particularly how he faced the justice system of his own time. Today, in the church or liturgical calendar, it's designated as Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Perhaps you saw it on the front of your bulletin. We begin the Christian year with Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Then we have Christmas Eve and Christmas morning and begin the 12 days of Christmas. Then we move into the season of Epiphany, the season of learning about who Jesus is and how He manifests Himself in the world. And of course, one of the public displays of that is him going down to the Jordan River to be baptized. Dr. Tanksley read us the account from Matthew. What is said in Matthew sounds so much like what Isaiah is saying. Let me give you just one more verse out of that text we read today. See if you can hear the same sentiment. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Or you could say right standing or standing for right or standing for justice. I've called you in righteousness. I've taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. It's from Isaiah. But so often as we read Isaiah, we think of Jesus Christ. Because the early Christians knew Isaiah and saw Jesus embodying these principles and ideas of the servant being sent by God to be in ministry to the world. Jesus is baptized as a servant of God to bring forth justice. We, we are baptized as servants of God to bring forth justice. So often when we're doing baptisms, we're thinking, and rightly so, about the grace of God being poured out upon us. 
and the forgiveness of our sins and the renewal of our life and our inclusion in the Christian community. But there's three questions we always ask at the beginning of the baptismal ritual. Sometimes when we're baptizing a young newborn, they sound so harsh because they talk about justice and wickedness. Do you remember them? I want to read them to you because in the context of our passage today, they make so much more sense. Here are the three questions. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? And the person is to say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you? to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And the person is to say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? And the person is to say, I do. Now, if it's an infant, the parents say that, but if it's an adult, they are asked those questions. Lots of churches during this month of January, as a way to begin a new year, will structure a whole service about remembering our baptism, maybe even touching water, making the sign of the cross on our forehead as a way to remember the vows that we've taken and renew us and refresh us in our Christian discipleship for the new year. We're not going to do a whole service around that, but I want to read you these three questions again. And if you're ready to recommit and remember your baptism, I ask, as I ask the questions, I'll ask you to answer them out loud and just say, I do, as a way for all of us to remember who we're called to be and how God sends us in the name of Christ in the world to deal with injustice. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And let the people say, Amen.